center ourselves with who is our first love and what it's all about. And our first love is obviously Jesus. Great. Okay. Answer to everything. Jesus. Good Sunday school answer. Uh, what's two plus two? Okay. You guys are sharp. You're with me to this morning. <laughs> well done. Okay. Yes, you guys are a lot better than the first service. But you guys obviously slept in a little bit, drank some coffee, then came to church. Yeah. Okay. Uh, love does not judge. Okay, so we're gonna. I'm, I thought we're gonna end off this, this, uh, this series that we're doing next month. We're gonna start with, with um, revival and reformation. So I'm not gonna give anything away right now. So, and but I thought we'd talk about the statement. Um, became quite a popular a few years ago. So it's often associated a bit with controversy in Christian circles because of a certain book that was read, but I'm not going to go into the uh, book that was written a couple of years back. But it's an interesting statement because off the, off the top of it, it's not, it's not untrue. If I was just going to say love wins, no context, it's not a statement that is untrue, but it's a statement that obviously has a little bit of cultural baggage attached to it or church history baggage attached to it, depending on what it means, okay? So, so I say the word, the phrase, love wins, and some people associate that with meaning, well, you know, we, we don't judge, okay? So I can, you know, what, whatever you do, you just do you, you know, your truth, doesn't matter, we're not going to judge, because at the end of the day, love wins, or there's no condemnation, you know? Jesus doesn't come to condemn, so I won't condemn. And so that these are statements that, that sound very good. But I want to—I really want to look at this this word love. It's a really important one because if if we're gonna if we're gonna make Jesus our first love, then we need to look at that word love. What does that actually mean? What does that require of us? And uh, and how do we how do we use it going forward? So. I thought we'd read a chapter on love. Anybody know a good chapter on the on the topic of love? One Corinthians thirteen, fantastic Bible school promotion. I love it. Okay, so let's turn our Bibles to one Corinthians chapter thirteen. Um, this is a it's a really awesome chapter. This is the one that usually you'll find at a wedding. People love to use this at weddings and things like that. And it's a very short chapter. It's only 13 verses. You can remember how many verses because 1 Corinthians 13 has 13 verses in it. And um, it, funny enough, just this is just my nerdy interest side note stuff. 1 Corinthians 5 and 8 also have only 13 verses. And all three of them make up the shortest chapters in 1 Corinthians. But that's side note of no useful information, but anyway, moving on. And um, so what, what is interesting about 1 Corinthians 13 is if you read 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about spiritual gifts. And 1 Corinthians 14, directly after 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about the gift of prophecy. So we get, we get these heavy topics, um, not necessarily heavy, but, but they're a little bit, you need to, they higher grade. And then in the middle of talking about the gifts of the Spirit, gifts of prophecy and tongues, in the middle of this, Paul decides, Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, Paul decides that he's going to insert this quick disclaimer about love. 
in the middle of these very um, very heavy topics, right? So, 1 Corinthians 12, talking about spiritual gifts, uh, you know, a lot to do with the order of a church and how we order a church, and we get first our apostles, prophets, evangelists, um, what am I missing there? Pastors and then teachers, okay? And uh, so talking about the order, it's very heavy. And then now we, now let's just take a pause. We're going to talk about love for a second, and then we're going to go on to prophecy and the gift of tongues and how church services need to be ordered. So there's orderly worship. and So, it, so why does Paul decide that he needs to quickly take a break, and we're going to talk about love? We're going to get into that now. And then um, chapter 13 itself is also interesting because it talks first about how we need love and then what does love look like and then how love kind of supersedes everything else and then also makes a little bit of a break at the end of 1 Corinthians 13 and then there's this weird moment. You know, I don't know if you ever played that game with your teacher when you're in school and they'll put like four objects on the table and you have to guess which one doesn't belong to the group. You ever, ever had to do that thing, right? And so 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 12, if you read them, they look like they don't belong in this chapter. It's a little bit weird. It's like Paul's getting really romantic about love, and then he tells us to grow up, you know? And um, so we're going we're gonna to read well. And, and is, it, is it a mistake that it's in there? The obvious answer to that is no. So then there must be a reason, and, and I think that reason will give us a lot of context and into what love is, and ultimately, how do we put Jesus first as our first love? Okay, so are you guys at 1 Corinthians chapter 13? I'm going to read from the NIV if you want to follow along, or well, obviously you can follow along in whatever translation you do have. So let's start. Um, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have the faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Okay, so one, two, three, verses one, two, three, talking about how love is so important. In fact, love is so important that if you don't have it, nothing else matters. Okay, and now this is, this is quite radical even for then. If you think about Jesus and we know him for doing all these amazing miracles, but what, what Paul would like to point out is that the most miraculous thing about Jesus is not necessarily the miracles that he did, but the love that he displayed. Right, and in fact, if Jesus did all of those things but did not love us, they would mean nothing. And, and then the same falls for you. So, so if you've been in this church for a while, you know that we love spiritual gifts. We, you know that we love the gift of prophecy. But for us, we have to come to terms with the fact that, that we can do all of those things. But if we do not display the love of God to the people that he has given us to steward, we're wasting our time. Are you with me? Okay. And so... When, we, when we're looking at, at love, we know that it's important. And for you in your spiritual walk with Jesus, is that it's not just that it's important and you've kind of got to make sure that it's included, but it has to be the thing, that when you are dealing with people, the love of God has to be evident. And if not, 
it's best to go back to the drawing board and, and rework what we're doing, okay? You're just going to make a lot of noise. And then from verses 4 to 7, we, we talk about the attributes. This is the nice part. So this is the part where you can jab your spouse in the ribs and say, please pay attention to this. Okay, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. That's beautiful, isn't that, isn't that amazing? Eh? And so when we're looking at at love and what love does is the fact that that love overcomes. It doesn't seek its own interests. It doesn't doesn't look for its own needs to be to be satisfied. But instead, love endures in the long term, right? It and it and it's constantly sacrificial. It's constantly looking out for the needs of the people amongst us, around us. Okay. Turn to your spouse next to you and say, are you listening? <laughs> okay, great. We'll move on. We can. We also do marriage counseling. Uh, so, but in, the, in verse 6 it says something very interesting is that love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth. So the problem that for us when, when we've heard the phrase love wins, it's, it's got this connotation of I can do whatever I want because there's no consequences. But love as well does not delight in evil. Right? So there's, there's this amazing, there's, and there's, there's this paradox in the, in the, or seeming paradox in the New Testament where, where Jesus does not come to condemn the world, Right? But if you do not choose Jesus, you will still be condemned. Right? And there's this, there's this weird sort of a tightrope thing that we've got to do in our minds. And, and the same thing is applying here is that, is that love is patient and it's kind and it, and it walks with us and it endures, and, but it does not delight in evil. But it rejoices in the truth. Right? So that's, that's a spe- I mean, you know, the whole, the whole, for instance, you know, gender identity is becoming a big, a big topic. And so especially when we talk about something like that, is we, we can't distort gender and gender identity for people to feel good. So, so somewhere along we've got to love and accept them, but we can't justify what people do as well just to make them feel better, Right? So there's there's this place where, and this is this is where we need the wisdom of God, where we've got to reach out to people where they are in their mess, but at the same time, we cannot make justifications for the things that they do to make them feel better, or for sometimes to make ourselves feel better. Right? Okay, but we'll get a little bit more into that just now. And then from verses eight to ten. Love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Have you ever, have you ever thought about healing? Like if I say healing, the word healing, it's, healing is a good thing, right? If I say 
You want healing? You go, yeah, yeah, healing's sharp. It's good. But healing is only necessary in, in, in the presence of sickness, right? And if there's no sickness, then there isn't a necessity for healing. Have you thought about that? Or if you, if you think of courage, courage is a good thing, but courage is only necessary in the presence of fear, right? When there's fear, that is a moment I need to be courageous. So those, those are very good things, but, but eventually they fall away, okay? Prophecy is the same thing. We, we need prophecy because we cannot see fully. And so we need the Holy Spirit to help us and influence so that we can see heaven on earth. But one day we'll be face to face with Jesus and we'll be able to fully see Then we won't need prophecy, right? That's, but love is completely different. Love, love can be complete now and love will endure past eternity. Love does not fall away. It goes beyond all those things of that we think prophecy is good, healing is good, speaking in tongues is good. But all of those things will fall away, but love will continue on. Okay? This is a big deal. We're going to get into this just now. There's a really good reason for this. But, but, but the, the main thing that we've got to remember is that one of the qualities of love is that it endures. And it goes beyond, okay? But sometimes when we read this passage of Scripture, and sometimes we do this within Scripture in general, this is a bad way to scripture, do Scripture. Have you ever been in church and you're listening to a sermon and you think, yes, if only my one friend was here because he really needs to hear this, you know? Or you, maybe you're thinking, no, I hope my spouse is paying attention. And sometimes we read Scripture like that, you know? We read Scripture and we go, I hope, you know, I think I think that person should I should send the scripture to my friend because he really needs to read this, you know. And and the the that's that's a big problem because yes, the word of God can transform your friend's life and your spouse's life, but the word of God, when you're reading it, is meant to transform your life as well. Amen. So and so when we're reading this, sometimes we we, we look past love and we think of it as a thing and it is to a certain degree a thing but what we should be doing when we read 1 Corinthians 13 is uh, you know we should be thinking okay so love is kind am I kind okay love is patient am I patient do I lose my cool sometimes and and this is this is not a process of condemnation okay because there is no condemnation within Jesus but what it is is what I'm constantly doing it's like in James 1 I'm looking in the mirror Okay, and, and I'm seeing the parts of myself that I still need to work on. And I need to be honest about those parts. And I'm seeing the parts that, that God has come and redeemed and, and I'm doing really well in. That's, that's sometimes a little bit more difficult for people. And I'm being thankful to Jesus for how far I have come. But sometimes when I read scripture, I'm also going, uh, you know, um, I'm not getting this. So Jesus, can we work on this too? Can you help me? Can you give me the grace so that I can be a little bit more patient at home? Because, you know, my kids did something and I snapped and I don't like the way that I'm acting at home. And that's, that's a good way to reach Scripture. And it's not coming from a place of condemnation. It's coming from a place of I'm going to Jesus with my mess because I know that he is faithful to help me out with it. Okay, but sometimes what we do is we it becomes a little bit hard, so we start making a justification for why we are where we are, right? 
No, you know, it's, it's, it's okay that, you know, I don't want to share my faith with people because, you know, I'm an introvert and um, we're just background kind of people, you know, so I'll just pray in the background. And that's very, it's very good, it's very useful. But, you know, somebody also needs to share and hear what you've got to hear and say. Are you with me? And so I'm not using my weaknesses as an excuse. Instead, I'm going to Jesus with my weakness because I know that he is good. I know that I can come to him with him. And so, in, and that kind of gives an understanding of why Paul puts this 11 to 12 in. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. So there's, there's this part, and we're going to read just now in 1, in 1 John 4. We, the thing about love is that it can be made complete now. And, and so Paul talks about love. And remember, it's between 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 13. And he's, what he's saying to these guys is like, hey, when you operate this way, you've got to do so in love. Because if you remove love from what we're talking about, if you remove love from spiritual gifts, if you remove love from how to order a church, you're just going to offend more people than you help. Are you with me? Okay? And unfortunately, the church knows too many people that can do amazing things but end up falling away. Right? We've all heard those stories. And why, why was it? Because love had to anchor. And, it's some, and Paul has a conversation with these guys and says, you guys need to grow up. Okay? When you were a child, it was fine to be selfish. Okay? My daughter, she's two years old, and uh, she, she still wears a nappy, and it's kind of cute because, you know, you can smell her from like two shops away. You go, hey, yeah, poofy gemaakt. Yes, near papa. You know, and you know that, and we all have a good laugh about it. And it's all very cute and funny. But you know, what, if she's still doing that when she's ten years old, then it's not. The cuteness factor is now worn off. Imagine a ten-year-old doing that. Imagine a ten-year-old still wearing it. It's not cute anymore, right? And for for us Christians, sometimes we're a little bit like that. Is is you know we've been saved and we've been sanctified. You know, identity is a really good example. I love talking about identity, something that got me into ministry in the first place, the topic of identity. And, you know, when you first get saved, identity is such a crucial topic to understand your, your sonship, daughtership in Christ and who you are. But, you know, what? If, if you're still struggling with your identity in Christ 10 years after being a Christian, then somewhere along the line we've missed something. And we've got to go back and go, what, what have we missed? We... we you can't spend 10 years with Jesus and still be struggling to figure out your identity in Christ. And we need to work on something. We've got to figure something out. Because when you hang out with Jesus, your life will change. You cannot stay the same. He loves you as you are, but he loves you so much more that he will not leave you as you are. Right? And so when we're talking about love and love wins... Often what, it's, what people are saying is, when they say the phrase love wins is, I just want to stay the way I am and stop judging me because, you know, it doesn't really matter what I do at the end, love wins. And you've got to go, near to me, 
Love does win. In fact, it doesn't win. It's not that love eventually wins. It's that love has won 2,000 years ago on a cross. And you have access to that life-transforming love that can enter in and, and, and change every facet of your, of, your, of your being here and now. And so Paul talks to these guys and says, hey, you guys, you're in ministry. You've been doing this for a while. And it was fine being a child like then, but, but we've got to mature. And maturity looks like adopting love. That, you know, it's not that you're the most patient person in the world, but, you know, I'm a lot more patient than I was a, a year ago. I'm a lot more kinder towards the people around me than I was a year ago. And uh, I've just been slowly, diligently, you know, reading my Bible and praying and hanging out with Jesus and, and worshiping. And, and I'm just discovering that, that as I'm walking with Jesus, my life is, is transforming. Like, like I've, I find myself less irritable. I'm not so irritated all the time. You know, I, I find myself, it's not easy to serve my wife. You know, before I was just trying to like cling on to everything that was mine. Now I'm finding it easy to serve my wife. You, do you see where I'm going with this? And so I can't, I can't, I can't adopt an, an ethos where I'm just going to justify everything because, because Jesus ultimately wants to come transform me into something that looks more like him. Right? Let's go to 1 John 4. I think this will also give context. This is another famous chapter on love. And um, <clears throat> just for the sake of time, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. But there's this amazing part, 1 John 4, verse 7, um, sorry. Oh, yeah, 1 John 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And let me stop there. This is an incredibly profound statement, that love comes from God. And just now we're going to read that God is love, okay? And there's many things that God can do. For instance, He is faithful. We know that. That's true. We know that we know that he is that he is gentle, that he's kind towards us, okay? But love is something that 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 he doesn't just say that he does, but it's but the God uses love as something to describe himself. And that's really important because if we start to mess around with what love is and what love looks for you is different. Ultimately, what we start to do is to mess around with the very nature and identity of God himself. See, it's not, it's not for me to, dis, to say what love is and what love isn't. Okay, love is clearly defined in Scripture just as the nature of God is clearly defined. Okay, so when we're talking about gender identity and gender politics and all of those things, it's, it's, I, I, I need to love them as a person but I can't agree with their definition of love simply because their definition of love ultimately also redefines who God is himself. Are you with me? You can't, you can't say that you love and follow God, but you want to redefine what love is at the same time. That's, that doesn't make sense in my mind. To, to change one is to change the other. You can't, you can't have your cake and eat it too, as the Americans would say, right? But, but it even gets more, 
more front. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. Oh, sorry. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Okay? In other words, if you say that you, that you know God, that means that you love. It's, it's, it's possible to show faithfulness without knowing God. Scripture tells us that everybody is born with a measure of, of faith. I don't know if it's ever frustrated you. You know, you look at non-Christians and they start businesses and they get incredibly wealthy and they, they, they obviously they can operate and move in the world. But what Scripture says and, and why love is so unique is that if you do not know God, you cannot love. And at best you have a, you have a, um, a thing that looks like love, but love comes from God. And to love is to know God. And the reverse is also true. If you do not know God, you cannot effectively love. Okay? And then it goes on to define what kind of love that is. And it's, this is how, in verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. How does, love, how does God display his love sacrificially? See, it's, once again, it's, this, it's not about me and what I want. It's what do I give up so that I might know God? See, the, the gospel is kind of like this. This is, a good, this is a good analogy. It's like, you know, I used to live in Cape Town. And um, Cape Town is a school place, and that's where I used to live. But then the word of God came to me, and I heard that, that actually I'm living in sin, and Jesus actually lives in the holy city, George. That's a true statement. No, I'm joking. Okay. And, um, and so in order for me to be with Jesus, I need to give up that which I hold dear. My family's there. My friends are there. Everything that I know is there. Okay. And now in order for me to, to be with Jesus, I'm going to give that up and go live in George. And, and we'll do one or two things. We'll either do it, we'll either, okay, well, you know, like, like um, um, Mark 4, you know, find a, a pearl of great price, I'll sell everything because I want Jesus. So, it doesn't, you know, I'll count the cost and I'll go, or what I'll do is I'll start justifying why I should stay here in my mess, right? And it doesn't really matter if I stay in Cape Town. You know, I know Jesus is living in George, but it's fine if I stay there because you know what? At the end of the day, love wins, right? Wrong. Love has won. And here's the thing. So 1 John 4 says, uh, verse 16, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. What is the prerequisite for God's love living in you? Is that you must go live in God's love. That means that by definition, that means that where you are currently living now before Jesus is the wrong place to be. And you have to move. Get up from where you are. It's like the, prodigal, it's the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Okay, you're sitting in this mess with the pigs. And now you've got to get up and go to your father. But what, what we do is we like to sit in our mess, in, our, in the mud and in the vomit and we're like, nah, it's fine. It's fine here. I'll just stay here. It's good. Jesus loves me. His love wins. It's fine. I'll just, I'll just sit here. 
in the mess. And what Paul's saying to us is that for some of us, we need to grow up. Right? God's love has transformed and he set a place for you. He's prepared a place for you. And that place is not to sit in, in the mud. Because he's called you to sonship. He's called you to royalty. And royalty does not muddle in the mud. Royalty lives with Jesus in heaven, in paradise. And, and, and it's this trade-off that we need to give. Are you going to continue to live in your mess? Okay? Or are you going to go, you know, the definition of insanity is trying the same thing and expecting different results? Or maybe what we're doing isn't working and we need to get up and go do something about it. All right, let's all stand together. If I can get the band on stage, we're, gonna, we're just going to do a bit of worship just now. We've been talking about putting God first, putting Jesus first as our first love. And that's really the, the call, is that if we want to be like Jesus, it's going to be sacrificial. It's going to cost you something. Okay? It's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt. And, and, and it's not that I, I want to be... I want to be respectful for the things that you're going through. It's not, it's not a small thing. That, and, and I completely understand that the unknown... There. We're afraid of the unknown simply because it is the unknown. We don't, we don't know if it's going to work out. But we, we've just got to go, uh, if I'm doing things my way, is it working out? Let's all close our eyes. Jesus, we just want to thank you for what you did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago. We want to thank you that, that your love was born upon us and instead of leaving us to die you, you died for us and even if you had let us you, you would have been just in doing so because we deserved it but instead you had mercy on us you did not leave us in the mud instead you, you lifted our feet out of that miry clay and you've set us on a solid foundation. Father, I pray for the courage in our hearts to let go of that which is holding us and to hold fully onto your love, which transforms. Father, I'm tired of, of living in my mess. I want to live in you. I want your love to abide in me. I want it to change me completely. I want you to have access to every room in the house to sweep out what needs to get swept out. Father, I just pray for, for every demonic influence to be broken in the name of Jesus. That people will experience the freedom of God in their lives right now to reach out to you, to their Savior.
And if there's anything that, that, as I was saying that, if there's anything that came to mind that, that you feel that's holding you back, or maybe that, that you're using as a crutch to get through your day or your week, it can, it can look like too much TV, it can look like too much food, it can look like pornography, it, can, it, it manifests itself in different ways. But, but as I was saying that, if you're thinking like, I'm relying on this too much, I'm, I'm holding on to this, and I'm too afraid to let go because I don't know if I'm going to find peace or security. And if that's you, I just, I just want you to, just where you're sitting, you don't have, we don't have to make a show about it, but just, just say to God in your own words, Father, I give this to you. Jesus. And then for the rest of us, we're going to go into a time of worship. And I just, I really encourage you just to make a declaration today that, and the declaration is simple as Jesus, <laughs> I don't know where I'm supposed to go, but all I have is you and that is enough for me, dude, Jesus. I don't need these other things. I just need you, Jesus. Jesus, I need you. So as we worship, let's just raise our hands as a declaration. Jesus, I need you and only you. Thank you, Francois.